This is episode 55 of Alohomora for November 2nd, 2013. Hi everyone and welcome to the show. I'm Rosie Morris. I'm Patrick Musilek. And I'm Laura Riley. And here today we have two guests. Our first guest is Alex. Thank you very much for joining us, Alex. Thank you for having me. Uh, Would you like to tell a little bit about where you're from or anything else, your Um, house? I'm Alex. I'm 13. I'm from Atlanta and I am... (laughs) What's your Hogwarts house? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I'm in Slytherin, which is awesome. Ooh. Very cool. (laughs) I mean, I'm a Gryffindor, but I'll let you stay. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Also, uh, thank you for joining us, Patrick. Patrick is one of our uh, three editors, who, and he has been for a really long time. Mm-hmm. S- thank you so much, because he's stepping in the last minute for Eric, who had to cancel. So uh, thank you very much for joining us, Patrick. Oh, no problem. I, I tried to do as much prep as possible in the few hours that I've had. Um, just to let people know a little bit about me, I've been with the show since about episode four. And so for, I mean, a while now, but I am a Ravenclaw, so Very cool. woo Ravenclaw. And where are you from? I'm from Omaha, the middle of the country. Very cool. So we actually have each house represented today. That's quite cool. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. That's always exciting when that happens. Yeah, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see how our opinions differ. Haha. <laughs> Definitely. So exciting news that you might have seen if you follow us through social media or the homepage. We have been nominated for the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Yay! Yay. (laughs) Uh, And we are nominated because you guys, the fans, sent in your votes for us. So, huge thank you. You're all super awesome. And it's also really cool because we're not the only ones that are nominated. Uh, We are nominated for Entertainment and People's Choice, but our MuggleNet sister podcast, uh, two of them also got nominated. So, Hogwarts Radio uh, has been nominated for Best Produced. And uh, MuggleNet Academia has been nominated for the education category. So you should vote for all of us because you can, because none of us are competing against each other, which is awesome. So you can vote daily through November 15th. You must use a valid email. And once you've submitted, just check your email and click on the link. If you do not do this and click on the link to verify your email, the vote will not count, which is very sad. So thank you so much for getting us this far. And it'd be really awesome if you can get us a little bit further. <laughs> We're all really, really grateful. And all of that will be on our website as everything as normal. So you can find out more information on there. We got a real nice new fancy banner. We do. <laughs> we are a nominee. Uh, just as a reminder, we want to remind all the fans to read Chapter 17, The Four Champions of Goblet of Fire, so that you can uh, listen along and get the most out of this podcast. We would also like to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors, Audible. Exclusively for fans of Alohomora, they are offering a free audio download. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, so head over to audiblepodcast.com slash open to get yours now. Okay, so now we want to go into the chapter discussion from last week and get some comments and thoughts that other people had from the website and from calling in and everything. And our first comment is actually an audio clip that we're going to play now uh, from Hufflepuff Skeen. Um, So let's listen to that right now, and then we'll discuss her, her thoughts. Hi, y'all. This is Leah, or Hufflepuff Skeen on the forums. I was thinking about Eric's dilemma regarding why the aging potion didn't work um, to trick the Goblet of Fire. As a simple answer, I think Dumbledore expected students to try it, and so he created the age line using magic that would detect if the entrant used an aging potion. And I'm sure, being the smart guy he is, he thought of other possible methods that students might try, and so put in counter magic um, for those. I also think this connects to Kat's idea that the aging potion is simply aesthetic, used to change one's appearance. Could it be that the reason Fred and George and the others came out with long beards is that the age line detected they used an aging potion and then accelerated it like crazy so that they aged much more than they intended and end up with old man beards like Dumbledore? Yeah, uh, I wasn't on the last week's episode, but... I also agree with what Kat's saying about the Asian aging potion being only aesthetic. And uh, I think, you know, that how I see it happening was pretty much exactly like how the movie interpreted it. Where, like, they weren't all wrinkly old men. They kind of were just, like, had the beards and it was, like, more comical. Yeah. Uh, so I also agree that they didn't, like, physiologically, like, morph into a 90-year-old man. That would be pretty scary. But uh, I think, yeah. 
I, I definitely agree. I like the fact that this shows Dumbledore as a prankster as well. Like, he he did know exactly what the students were going to try and do, so he did something funny to counter it. It's, it's just a nice way of showing that he's, you know, the fun headmaster. <laughs> well, and I like the idea that it brings up that, uh, you know, he was planning... If, if this is true, that he specifically created this one defense for this specific way around, I like the idea that he maybe had to think of other things that could happen. You know, I just have sort of always thought that whoever was trying to get through the line, through over the age line, that they would grow a beard and that that would be it. But it's interesting to think that there might be other defenses if other people tried other ways around or, or different things. So it opens up some interesting questions too. Well, see, because what I'm really confused about with this is that – um. If Fred and George are, like, really close to being 16, I mean 17, and they're using the age potion and it's simply an appearance thing, there there isn't going to be much change in appearance. And so I really don't see how it's going to help. Yeah, and that's, like, that's how the comment was kind of hitting on, too, the fact that uh, because they specifically used an age potion, the defense that Dumbledore actually put on it was to accelerate the, the age potion way beyond what they intended it to do. And that's how they ended up getting their beards and, and aging just crazily. All right. Yeah. I really like that comment. So the next comment comes from the forums, and it's from Stone Hallows. And it says, It makes me wonder what would have happened if you didn't try to be older. You just ignored the rule and tried anyway. Would you still grow a beard, or would something else happen? Obviously, you wouldn't be allowed to enter regardless of if you tried to trick the goblet or not. But what would happen if you didn't try to trick it? So so this kind of goes back to what we were saying. You know, it, it brings up, brings up uh, you know, what else could you do? But even if you weren't trying anything, like if Colin Creevy just stepped over the line, to try to put his name in the goblet what would happen i think he still would have gotten the beards i think it's it's kind of a thing where it's just a reminder that you needed to be older so whatever happened you would get this kind of reminder um of age in the form of facial hair for some reason i like the fact that it doesn't discriminate between genders as well girls can get beards too it's fine (laughs) oh yeah definitely So the next comment comes from the main site and is from uh, Madame Lestrange. She says, in this episode, you guys were talking about the decision of the Bobatons to sit with Ravenclaw and Darmstrang to sit with Slytherin. Uh, I think that this was a plot device so that the champions are chosen. It's almost as if there are one champion from every house, uh, being like Harry representing Gryffindor, Cedric representing Hufflepuff, and then Crumb maybe representing Slytherin, and Fleur, of course, representing Ravenclaw. So uh, I like this. I think that it, it, um, it, it kind of helps the reader organize your thoughts a little bit more as you're reading, and it kind of helps maybe identify with the, the entire school as a whole. You know. And I think it also sort of goes along with the Durmstrang dark arts connection from last week where um, Draco mm-hmm. had his whole Durmstrang has the dark arts thing. Yeah, yeah. we um, we had another audio boo message um, saying something very similar. Um, and it, I think it would be kind of a boring year for all the Ravenclaws if they didn't have Fleur and it would be a boring year for the Slytherins if they didn't have <laughs> Crumbs. So it helps for the actual students there as well as for the readers having someone yeah. to kind of root for. Wouldn't have anyone to care for. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But if they didn't have those two, do you reckon that the Ravenclaws would have gone perhaps with? I think everyone would have supported Diggory. I think they just would have done that because, like, everyone's just like, "Yay, Cedric Diggory is awesome. Harry Potter's not." (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, all the Gryffindors are happy for Harry, so wouldn't one of the other houses be happy for him too? Well, yeah, I guess I get that, but. Well, Gryffindor is still not really everyone, because there's even, like, his best friend, like, Ron, is going against him. He's like, because he's thinking that he cheated with the age one. Yeah, and it seems it seems odd to me that nobody else really questioned it. But, I mean, I guess if you're looking at it from their point of view, it's just, you know, someone from their house is going to be represented in this giant, you know, event that's taking place in the Wizarding World, and, and they're just happy about it. But I, I still think that a lot of the kids would have felt a lot of resentment towards Harry because, I mean, technically he shouldn't have been allowed in the tournament in the first place. Sure. So, We'll discuss this a lot more later on because that's obviously the chapter that we're going to do today. So keep those thoughts in mind. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so our last comment uh, from last week's show comes from the forums, and it was by Tweak6. Uh, she says, she or he says, I always imagine Ludo Bagman as Boris Johnson, the mayor of <laughs> London. <laughs> Completely. He embodies overgrown schoolboy. 
For non-British people, Boris is that man that got stuck on a zipline <laughs> during the London Olympics. I'm sad I missed that. Um, he's also the guy that, during his recent trip to China, told them that Britain loves international students because Cho Chang, a Chinese exchange student, was Harry's first girlfriend. <laughs> okay, oh, Boris. You don't even know how much I love this. <laughs> that is great. Yeah, I think it's probably... I mean, I pretty much know Boris Johnson largely for the zipline incident yeah <laughs> yeah i missed that i'm disappointed about that oh it's on youtube you can find it easily i'll have to do that <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty great it's hilarious because boris is actually um or was he's not anymore since he became mayor of london but he was my local mp so you can often see him kind of wandering <laughs> around my town um especially on christmas he does all of his shopping on christmas eve um but it's just hilarious like i can definitely see this being boris <laughs> All right, so I think that wraps that up. So we're going to move on to our podcast question of the week responses. And uh, this question asked, uh, it was pretty broad, and then it asked pretty much what's the deal with the Goblet of Fire, whether that be its history, what do you think it was initially used for, um, the powers it actually has, so all that jazz. We got a ton of responses. So this first comment comes from Fred Weasley's Ghost, which is the worst username I've ever (laughs) seen, right in the feelings. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Right in the feelings, but anyway. Uh, I think it would be really cool if the goblet was part of King Arthur's legend. Merlin, knowing King Arthur needed help picking the knights for his round table, forged the goblet and enchanted it to pick the names of the bravest and the best. Later, when the Triwizard Tournament was formed, it was enchanted to pick only three competitors, but because the enchantment was added later and not when it was first created, Barty Jr. was able to use a strong confundus charm to trick it into picking a fourth. So uh, this person actually wasn't the only person to kind of make the connection to Merlin and King Arthur, but uh, I thought I liked their comment. So yeah, what do you guys think, think about it's that? A bit of an inevitable connection with any goblet, really, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of people were talking um, about the Holy Grail. Yeah, and make, kind of making that connection, especially because someone pointed out how J.K. Rowling has once said that the original working title in her head was like the Cup of Destiny. Mm-hmm. For the Goblet of Fire. And then she ended up... Or something like that. And then she ended up going with Goblet of Fire because it had that Cup of Destiny feel to it. Um, so, yeah. And people kind of associated that with the Holy Grail and then with the Goblet of Fire. So, yeah. I think it's definitely an interesting parallel. I like that she went with Goblet of Fire rather than Cup of Destiny or whatever, though. Because I think yeah, it's it's more earthy, isn't it? It's less grand and you can believe it more. Yeah. I don't think Cup is awesome enough to be the Goblet of Fire. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I don't know if you guys talked about this already, like, just, this is a kind of a movie thing, but, like, the Cup is pretty simplistic in the books. Like, it's pretty much literally that. Like, yeah. it is kind of just like a cup. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the, you know, in the movie, it's this grandiose thing that's all metal and stuff. But, anyway. Alright, so then this next comment comes from Hallow's Master 97. And it says, I always thought the Goblet of Fire was made specifically for the Triwizard Tournament, but then it was cleverly pointed out that the Goblet failed to recognize the false fourth school, which, side note for me, I was pointed out by spectacularly hypothetical, the, uh, as a username. Okay, <laughs> anyway. The Triwizard Tournament is over 700 years old, so the Goblet must be older than that. Perhaps it was used to pick the best wizards in another competition, and then it was just figured... And then it was just configured so that it chose the best wizard out of the given schools. It is an ancient magical artifact and probably created by a very powerful wizard. Also, I found the connection between the Goblet of Fire and the Unbreakable Vow very interesting. They both seem to have the same sort of enchantment which binds the wizard to a contract. However, I don't think a person would die if they didn't bid the Goblet's contract. They couldn't possibly allow that in a tournament for students. And I found this really intriguing. The Goblet and the Unbreakable Vow are both linked to fire in some way. The Goblet creates sparks and bursts in fire while choosing the wizards, and the Unbreakable Vow links two wizards using flames. Fire is known to represent power, and both the Goblet and the Unbreakable Vow are undeniably powerful. The Goblet and the Vow hold great power over a wizard once the contract is sealed. Okay, so I'm going to break that down to the two points. first half of it was pretty much saying that... um, you know, that the goblet was made, had to be made before the Triwizard Tournament, because if it was made only for the Triwizard Tournament, then it would know to only pick dry schools. <laughs> so, yeah. It, but if it was just something that was general for comp- competitions, you know, then that's more easily done that it would get a fourth. 
I think it still could have been made for the Triwizard Tournament. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you can create like computer programs and things that would only that you can like change the details of, so it would recognize a fourth. Yes. Yeah, um, so I don't see why you couldn't do that with magic as well. And uh, the second half of this is. It's funny to me that they're saying, oh, they couldn't possibly allow them to die, like, in a, in a sporting event. But <laughs> pretty much all the t- tasks are pretty lethal. I know. Let's yeah. put the 17-year-old wizards in a tournament to the death, sort of. Right. So I think it's it's funny. It's putting a lot of unearned faith and saying they wouldn't let that happen. They you have to wouldn't. remember also that, like, the concept of childhood and, like, trying to keep children safe and pure is only really a hundred or so years old. So 700 years ago, they wouldn't have cared at all. Go die, children. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah. Which is which is pretty much Hogwarts' general stance on child abuse anyway. <laughs> Back to the Middle Ages. Sure, why not? Oh, yeah. If you're older than eight, then you're an adult. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, moving, connecting from what the connection between the Unbreakable Vow and the Goblet are... Uh, this next comment is from Cassandra Wublatsky, and it says, The idea of a binding magical contract is curious. In my humble opinion, another ma- example of magic at its deepest and its most impenetrable. For instance, I always wondered what would happen if Harry had simply refused to participate in the tournament. What, what if he had just run away from Hogwarts, as he would briefly imagine doing in his fear before the first task? The adults seem to agree that he must go through with it. No one suggests otherwise, however worried they are about Harry, not Dumbledore, Sirius, or even Molly Weasley. They've all got to compete, says Moody and Moody slash Crouch. On, uh, or what? Dumbledore had earlier warned that this tournament is not to be entered into, into lightly. There could be no change of heart once you have become a champion. So is this like an unbreakable vow? Is Harry risking his life to compete because the alternative is certain death if he doesn't? This might explain why it is so important to exclude underage students, but surely it would be too dark a concept for what is essentially a sporting contest. Yeah. I find this really interesting. It's really interesting that they're linking it to the unbreakable vow because we've sort of like... In book six, we see that, like, it's used for, like, these really serious things, and it doesn't, like, seem like it's a thing that they'll use, but now it's using, it's being used for, like, a common, like, wizarding thing, and it doesn't really seem like a thing that's used a lot. It seems like something that's, like, super serious, so I think that, like, puts more light on the, how big of a deal this tournament is in the wizarding world. What do we reckon is the punishment? Do we really believe that there's going to be certain death if he doesn't compete or i mean it's interesting in connection to the second task where he almost misses it like he was asleep and almost was late what would have happened to him if dobby hadn't woken him up that's true um i that was kind of uh another person commented forgive me i cannot remember who but if it was just a matter of being compelled to like not like not even like physically like a magnetic pull like where he's running and it's like no and he's dr- it's being like dragged back by an invisible force but more like that just the circumstances would have it that he just literally could not avoid it so like what you're saying with the second task we, yes we could say that it was Dobby that woke him up but is it a matter of like oh Dobby woke him up because there was no way he could get out of it so like na- like forces worked that way or something I don't know. Well, and see, the interesting thing to me about this, and maybe we will talk about this a little bit later when we get into the chapter discussion, but the interesting thing about this is that they're saying that Harry can't get out of it because uh, he, he's his name's come out of the goblet. Now, his name has come out of the goblet because we know somehow someone used powerful magic to get it in there. I mean, at this point, we know that it was Barty Crouch. Um, but so so, but doesn't that lead one to think that the obvious alternative to that would be can't Dumbledore or someone use even more powerful magic to re-enchant the goblet or do something to take Harry out of this obligation, to get him out of his obligation to be in the tournament at all in the first place? See, what I'm finding really interesting is how, like, what with what Laura was saying with the comments she read, it's like the goblet is some sort of, like, really powerful object, and it's, like, manipulating like, these events in time around it, and I'm sort of wondering, like, where these encampments come from and, like, what type of magic this is. It does seem to be very old magic, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, really, really old. Yeah. So what was the point of it? Why have a tournament of 
Wizards for Eternal Glory who decided that they wanted to do this thing. I want to know the the history of the Triwizard Tournament. Where are those books that Hermione read? <laughs> there there was a lot of uh, comments that I just didn't couldn't get to. Um, that kind of related it very much like Grecian Olympics, like sure. um, mm, basically yeah. saying that it was seven hundred years ago, very much a you know tournament of strength and like the idea of a Wizard Olympics. But I don't know why it necessarily had to be students. But, um, See, I'm getting sort of the vibe of like a sort of like gladiatorial game. Maybe that's like sort of where it fits right, in yeah. history because it's like mm-hmm. competing in these dangerous tasks for like not really a, any good reason. Besides just glory. I mean, I guess they get money too. Yeah. But then again, I mean, I guess you can make the case that that's really what the Olympics are. Yeah. Not, I mean, not, yeah, we've had that throughout history. Like you said, with the gladiators, the Olympics, or even kind of jousting and things, medieval tournaments. There's a lot of history of people wanting to prove that they're the best of something without really any reason why. <laughs> yeah, and it's also, the, you know, they they are 17. Well, I guess only the age restriction was put on it for this year. But I was going to say if it was maybe a coming age, like proving you're a man type business, but I don't know. And now this last comment comes from Justin Allison, and it says, When I heard this question on the podcast, the first thing I thought of was the Fountain of Fair Fortune, as seen in the Tales of Beetle the Bard. Hundreds of wizards and mongols alike flock to the fountain to benefit from its supposed magical powers, even though, as the narrator reveals to the reader at the end of the story, the fountain's waters carried no enchantment at all. I think the Goblet of Fire might be similar. Maybe it's nothing more than a fancy lottery system that gains its respect for, from the legend behind it rather than what it actually does. As far as the binding magical contract, maybe this is just all in their heads. Crouch is the type of person who likes to follow established rules. Maybe he accepts that the goblet can force people into competing because that's what he's always been told. And I bridged that a bit, so... I think that one's pushing it perhaps a bit far. I don't think that Dumbledore and everyone would be taken in by that. Yeah, I don't think Dumbledore would... What I mean, I get Barty Crouch because he's, like, really obsessed with these rules, but I think Dumbledore, like... He, if he he would have been able to realize, I don't think he would have been fooled by like a fancy lottery drawing. I don't, I don't, I don't know. It makes you wonder if someone's ever tried to run away and like it's proven that it's not possible. Oh, that's well. You got to think of it too in the context of like back when the tournament was actually going on. It probably I don't know how regular it would have been. Like, was this an annual thing or a, like a, you know every four or five years? But you would assume that back in that day, everyone knew what it was, and so you wouldn't even attempt to put your name in unless you specifically wanted to be a part of the tournament. And then if that's the case, though, I don't think anybody would try to run away because they would already have known what was in store for them before they put their name in the cup. True. I have a side question, and this might be cut out if I'm just totally wrong, but I'm just mm-hmm. asking. In the book, does it can, does it say like when Harry does Harry like it his name gets pulled? Does it say like Harry Potter dash Hogwarts? Be- because I know that he they were saying that he was put under a fourth school, and I was just wondering if like if he put like you know uh, the school of magic, whatever. Um, we we never see the actual piece of paper. It's only Dumbledore that sees it. Um, mm-hmm. So it's possible. But so, yeah, I would imagine that, like, Dumbledore would read it and be like, hmm, Harry Potter, like, you know, Rutgers University. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like... Yeah. Well, do, do we actually, when Dumbledore is interrogating Barty Crouch Jr. at the end, does he specifically say that that's what he did? Or are we just taking on, like, fake Moody's word in this chapter that if he, if he was the one doing it, that's what he would do? Like, is that the only thing that we're going off of? Or I is think that... he definitely does say it in the interrogation at the end as well. Um, but he does say it in this chapter as well. Okay. Okay. I was just thinking of that. He probably just, you know, adds an apostrophe somewhere or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's true. Hogwarts with a Z. Yeah. <laughs> Gangsta Hogwarts. <laughs> so, okay, I think that wraps up our post question of the week. But uh just want to take a moment again to talk about Audible. Uh, something that was really great. I actually truly used Audible this past week um, using our, you know, slash open because I had so much to do for school and I had to read an entire novel for my midterm in like two days and I just didn't have enough time to sit down and read so while I was walking to class and while I was doing my dishes and literally while I was showering I just had this book playing and it made me finish the book so much faster so uh yeah, Audible is really great for that in the sense of school. So good yeah. on Audible. Honestly, my house is just so so full of books. I don't have space for anything more either. So 
I will most likely get my next book on Audible as well. After all, Audible is the best place for all of your audio downloading needs. And right now, Audible has a great special offer for US and Canadian listeners. They can visit our unique link, uh, created specifically for them, and get a free audio download today, right now. They just have to go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash open. You can also download it using Audible's listener program, which uh, basically allows you to purchase book credit at a super low monthly rate, and then you can use it at any time uh, for anything that Audible offers, which is pretty cool. And with over 150,000 titles, you have a lot of options. Head over to audiblepodcast.com forward slash open and start downloading directly to your computer for easy listening on burned CDs, MP3 players, or even on your iPad, iPhones, or Androids. Again, the website made just for you is Audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E, podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, dot com slash open, O-P-E-N. So visit audiblepodcast.com slash open for your free download today. How many times can we say the same link in the same little section? <laughs> you got to drive the point home. We do. And to drive the next point home, we are now going to start chapter 17. Chapter 17. The Four Champions So, in the last chapter we heard that Harry's name has been pulled from the goblet and we pick up straight away as the next se- as the next chapter starts. Everyone is staring at Harry who is struggling to believe what has just happened. Were you guys shocked when it happened in the first like the first time you read it can you remember i i wasn't really because harry always like gets himself into the they're not gonna have like a big wizarding tournament and like harry's not gonna be like in it for yeah some it's kind reason. of inevitable <laughs> i mean the cover is kind of spoilery in that regard that is yeah. true oh look it's him battling dragons but he's not gonna battle dragons in this book or anything <laughs> right considering they've mentioned dragons so many times already as well and there's one on the front cover it's kind of like oh right okay surprise <laughs> But, as we are um, not at that point yet, we see McGonagall rushing up to Dumbledore um, as soon as kind of the name is pulled out to whisper in his ear as Dumbledore looks on uh, with a concerned expression. What do you reckon McGonagall is actually saying to Dumbledore at this point? Just pretty much echoing what she says out loud, I believe, um, later, of like... Um, what the heck? Yeah, like, you, this can't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but even she doesn't have the solution. Which is sad. I kind of imagine her Im- immediately thinking, you know, instead of just being like, how did this happen? Imme- immediately thinking, why did this happen? You know, going up to the reason she runs up to Dumbledore right away rather than just standing up and going, what's going on? Is because she immediately thinks, okay, something's going on here. Run over to Dumbledore and you got to try to figure it out, you know? I like how much she cares for Harry as well. I mean, she's the head of house. She doesn't actually have to go out of her way as much as she does for, you know, Harry and the other two. Um, I think she really does care for the little boy without his parents. She's another mother for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but Harry turns to his friends and immediately protests his innocence. Um, but they just, even Ron and Hermione are just kind of s- sat there staring at him, not really saying anything. Um, and no one in the hall seems to believe him. Um, so when Dumbledore calls him up to the top table, everyone just watches and you can hear the kind of buzzing whispers growing louder. But there's no kind of heckles or anything you'd expect like draco to stand up and shout something but even hagrid's astonished like mcgonagall may rush up to dumbledore but hagrid's just kind of sat there staring as well why did none of his friends stick up for him okay this like scene it's sort of like you know is sort of especially like in the book and in the movie it's just like sort of a wake-up call like not everyone's gonna be there for you and understand what's going on like all the time like and this is the first sort of time we see Dumbledore and he's not like completely all-knowing and he's just like he doesn't know and he's like completely baffled by this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um I think pretty much the reason why his friends don't stick up for him and the same reason that you know Ron eventually you know doesn't support him because they just they don't necessarily support it either. And I think Hermione's probably like just terrified or whatever. True. Hermione later says that she kind of she knew straight away from his expression, but she's even stunned at this point, which is sad. People who are not stunned, however, are the people in the portraits who are starting gossiping straight away. Um, but this is actually in the next room. So Harry is passed out of the Great Hall into the next room, and the portraits in there are gossiping. So how do they know what happened? Like. Yeah, the champions didn't hear, but apparently the portraits have got very good hearing. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I there must be some sort of a chain of. I mean, I don't know, 
We find out later that Violet, the Violet runs up and tells the fat lady what happens. But I don't. Are there actually any portraits in the Great Hall? Not that I knew of, but perhaps there are. Maybe I'm getting yeah. confused with. Well, do they? World. <laughs> do they like exactly know that? Do we exactly know that? Like they're gossiping about Harry. I mean, like it's an exciting thing in and of itself, even without the fourth champion. I mean, they might be gossiping about that, but maybe like when Harry walks in, then maybe they'll start gossiping about that. Who knows what portraits do? Mm-hmm. That's true. Maybe they know the procedure, and they know that there shouldn't be a fourth kid entering at this point. Yeah, yeah. And that's why they're gossiping. So we then get a nice little description of the three champions as they are currently in the room, um, looking rather intimidating to Harry's young eyes. Um, and I thought it was interesting that Crumb is standing apart from the other two, um, described as looking brooding, as he always is. But you'd think, I mean, Fleur doesn't really seem to care about anyone else other than herself. She, like, Crumb is a very famous wizard and she doesn't seem to be affected by it at all, um, considering her velar powers that she later uses on other people. Do we kind of get a, a wrong impression of who Fleur is um, based on, I guess, fandom um, fandom writing about her? Because we always kind of see her as very self-centred and very kind of almost fake, I guess. Um, but she's not particularly interested in fawning over other famous people. She just cares about herself. <laughs> I wouldn't call her fake ever. Um, mm-hmm. I think more is it, the exact opposite. She's like a hundred percent like open about her opinions. She's not being like, "Oh my God, Hogwarts is so pretty." She's like, "Ew, what is this?" Like that's true. <laughs> this little boy. Yeah, I think she's the opposite of fake. <laughs> well, in, in this specific instance too, you got to think that. You know, she was really hoping that her name would get picked out of the goblet, but it it actually was. So she might, despite how confident she is and the fact that she is half Vila, she might actually be feeling a little bit of, you know, a little scared and a little apprehensive. And so she's over there with the other two champions, like, excited and like, oh, what's going to happen next? Whereas Crum, he's so used to all this attention and he's, you know, when his name was picked from the goblet, I'm sure he was excited, but I wouldn't have been surprised to, you know, have him roll his eyes too. Like, oh gosh, here we go. You know, so it's... If you look at it from that point of view, uh, you know, Crumb is so used to everything, he's just off in the corner chilling, like, okay, let these guys have the spotlight for a little while, whereas Fleur is sitting there, like, maybe a little bit excited and, and maybe a little scared, too. And also, I mean, her thunder is kind of getting taken in that regards, too. Mm-hmm. Same for yeah. Cedric. Especially Cedric. Because now, like, all the yeah. focus is on Harry, because it's just this thing that nobody's used to seeing, the fourth champion. Mm-hmm. True. But they don't know it yet, um, and when Harry enters the room, Fleur asks if they kind of want her to go, her and the rest of the champions, to go back into the Great Hall, so she thinks that he's just a messenger. And it seems surprising <laughs> to me that she doesn't know who Harry is. Like, this is Harry Potter. <laughs> well, I think she knows that it's... Does she know that it's Harry, or... I think she, like, still... I would think that she knows that it's Harry, but, like, is just doesn't think he's there for a purpose, like he's Harry the messenger boy. Mm-hmm. Well, and the room is probably dark too. She probably didn't necessarily be able to, you know, she probably wasn't able to see everything. But just, oh, it's just this little kid coming in to tell us to go back out there. That's yeah. true. He's not particularly impressive yet. <laughs> yeah. However, Bagman is the next person to enter the room and immediately tells them all what has just happened that Harry is the fourth champion <laughs> and that it's a very kind of odd situation. Um, but he doesn't seem to be too worried. Do, do you think he's just kind of enjoying the spectacle of the occasion? Like, he doesn't ever seem to fret about the fact that this young boy is now going to be facing dragons oh absolutely he's just really excited that something completely unique is happening and that he's part of it you know he'll be able to whatever it is he'll be able to use this to his advantage somehow and he just is immediately happy telling stories yeah he's gonna tell this one at parties (laughs) that's true right He's almost as annoying as Lockhart, except that the stories actually happened to him. Oh, Lord, I just realized that comparison. That's... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All of the other teachers, um, the head head teachers of the other schools and McGonagall and uh, Snape then enter after after sorting out the rest of the school. Um, I like that that detail is in there so that you remember it's not all about Harry and then there are the rest of the school out there as well that's functioning normally. (laughs) Um, They all have to get sent back to their dormitories, even though Harry has left the room. Um, and this is the moment that Fleur calls Harry a little boy, um, which Harry obviously objects to, which is like, oh, poor Harry. Um, but this scene makes me question why Snape is there. I mean, you can understand why the heads of the other schools are there and why his head of house is there, but Snape's really just there to stir it up and gloat, isn't he? I think so. Like, I don't, there's like no real reason for Snape to be in there. He's like not 
connected to Harry in any way. Like, because Sprout isn't there, right? No, right. So right, he's literally just there to be Snape and to sneer down his he's nose. Just like, I am Snape. I can be wherever I want. And of course, this is the famous scene, um, as seen on our T-shirts, where Gambon is not perhaps the best impression of Dumbledore. Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? <laughs> Dumbledore asked calmly. What more do we need to say, really? <laughs> it's just completely wrong. Um, they say. Yeah. And there's been some great discussion um, around social media and on our forums about the fact that this scene is just not how it was supposed to go. Yeah. Well, this is the moment we finally realise that Dumbledore is crazy. Yay. <laughs> I was really tempted to when I was... Uh, we When Muggle and I hosted the Harry Potter Oscars and I was making all the videos, the nomination videos for that, I was like really tempted when making the best adapted screenplay one to just play that scene and just put the text over it that just say like the he said calmly but i felt like that was biased a little bit so potentially there has been a lot of great discussion that it's not actually gambon's fault as well and that it's all you know director's influence and all of that kind of thing mm-hmm. um so it would be interesting to see whether it's in the screenplay down as calmly or if it was changed right from there in, in the grand scheme of things too i mean it really doesn't matter, and it does build, you know, tension for the movie, you know. It's because they're what they're doing is hitting home the fact that for the first time, like you mentioned earlier, Dumbledore isn't in control of the situation. He doesn't know what's happening. And so that really does help to hit that hit that home that, that something's going on. Yeah. So, moving on, we see Karkaroff suggest resubmitting the names of the other students so that each school can get two champions and kind of equate uh, equal out the playing field a bit. Uh, but it says that the goblet can't be relit. So this is interesting going back to our previous discussion about the goblet. Um, how does it know when a tournament begins if it's not being lit by the, the wizards that light it? Um, it seems that it has its own kind of consciousness that knows what's going on. I'm wondering, like, how do they know when it can be lit again? Is it, like, battery charging? What's happening? <laughs> is there some kind of scroll that they all sign? But then why can't you just do that again and say that it's just, like two tournaments running simultaneously. Like, yeah, well, I mean, if, if if there is this binding magical contract that we already talked about, like, just starting another tournament immediately would create more binding contracts to have another... I think, like you just said, there would have to be two running at the same time because we've already established that you can't not have the tournament. So... But I guess if you're doing a, a simultaneous tournament, then you'd have to have seven champions rather than six, because Hogwarts would still need to be re- represented in that second oh. tournament. Oh, yeah, So it's just, it's very complicated. <laughs> well, and the thing that struck me as weird, too, while I was rereading the chapter, Karkarov immediately goes to this, well, we need two champions, too. Like, be, like my first thought would be, let's try to get Harry out of this. And they've already talked about that a little bit, but no one specifically said that that's not going to happen at this point yet. Yeah. And so I was wondering, like, why did he jump to that immediately? But when you think about it, it does make sense because it would get too much, another chance for his school to win. It's really interesting to me that everyone is more interested in the tournament than the safety of the students. I mean, like, oh, yeah. Maxime says it's giving Hogwarts two bites of the apple and all that kind of thing. <laughs> and it's just... Which is a very valid point, though. I'm kind of on her side there. It's super unfair. Yes, it's definitely oh, yeah. unfair, but I mean, poor Harry. <laughs> poor Harry, but oh well, poor us. Poor other <laughs> schools. It's just, is the tournament really worth that much? It's only, you know, it's a thousand galleons and so-called eternal glory that no one ever really knows about them again. I think it's odd that, like, we don't hear this, like, supposedly eternal glory, but we, like, don't hear about any other Triwizard Tournament members. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. We don't know yeah. a single other competitor from the from the past. <laughs> eternal glory for five seconds. Exactly. <laughs> well, and then the interesting thing to think about, too, is are we going to just kind of assume that this is the last Triwizard Tournament that ever takes place? I think it should be. Interesting. I think, I mean, if it's been resurrected this time, I don't see why it wouldn't be resurrected again, you know, once Voldemort's out of the way. Um, well, but at the same time, the Triwizard Tournament from now on might always be associated with like, oh yeah, that that Voldemort came back last time, you know? True, so it's like a jinx, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, I think that really puts a damper on future Triwizard Tournaments. It's like saying Beetlejuice three times. Yeah. Exactly. I'm sort of seeing like... I like what we've been discussing is like the history of the Triwizard Tournament and like the modern Triwizard Tournament. I'm wondering if there's any like relation between like ancient Greek Olympics and modern day Olympics because there's like 
I'm wondering if there, it's like been updated, but then again, it's, there's still... yeah, it's it's massively different. Right. So I would yeah, you could see that the tournament was has been updated as well. Mm-hmm. But they're still having children possibly dying, so probably not yeah. very much. <laughs> well, I mean, d- does does the goblet know what the what the three tasks are going to be before people enter their names? Like, does that is that a factor in how they how it picks who who deserves to be a champion? That would be interesting. That would be really interesting. I like that idea. I don't know. I guess one thing we could compare the goblet to is the sorting hat. We've never really made that connection. And maybe it has this kind of consciousness. Yeah. That... I mean, that was a lot of the questions that people commented on the podcast question of the week responses. I said, it's, you were getting so many good responses now, it's making it more difficult to narrow it down. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of, uh, there was something hypothetical that, um, made the connection to the sorting hat and saying that it was, yeah, like this unconscious kind of like sort of animate object. So we've just retired the t-shirt, but is it alive? (laughs) So I just, so I just got like this, I just got like this idea of like the sorting hat and the goblet of fire, like the sorting hat finally having like a sorting buddy, just like, hi. (laughs) Except I don't think the goblet talks, so it'd probably be really one-sided friendship. Poor lonely sorting hat. Mm-hmm. Does the goblet like spit out like words that, like love notes? Like, <laughs> it's just like spitting out hat. charred pieces Aww. of paper. I love you, sorting hat. Well, they were alluding to that on last week's episode uh, that Dumbledore has a very intimate relationship with the with the cup. So I mean, maybe <laughs> it just likes to spread its love around. Oh dear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I did not hear that. Um, at this point in the story, Moody enters um, and immediately says, "Convenient, eh? Um, perhaps Moody is Canadian." Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um it's interesting that, you know, he he really does go into the the monologuing thing here. Um but I'll get to that in a second. A side note is that there are three ex Death Eaters in this room now on the anniversary of Voldemort's downfall. Oh um, and none of them kind of know each other. Oh. Well Carcroft and Snape know each oh, other. Oh that but... just reminded me, like this is the like nineteenth well when we're recording now is the nineteenth anniversary of this happening. So. It is. Yay! We've, we've managed to do really well on our timing because the first task is also going to be November 24th, oh, which is the fantastic. same week that we'll cover it on the show. So mm-hmm. we've we've done really well. Wait, so we were saying this this took place on Halloween that we're talking about? Yeah. yeah. Oh my god! So last week it was Halloween and this week it's still Halloween. Yeah, we, we haven't touched on it yet, but for everybody listening, this is being recorded on Halloween. Happy Halloween! Yay! Obviously at this point, we hope all of you had a very great Halloween. Uh, and that no one was hurt eating apples with razor blades in them or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. So as I just said, um, Little Crouch, as we have nicknamed him, um, <laughs> explains exactly what is going on at this scene. Um, and he does his example of villain monologuing, but before it's even happened, um, where he explains exactly <laughs> how he did it and exactly what his plan was. And no one pays attention, even though Karkaroff actually accuses him at this point he even says you know you've seemed to have thought a lot about it and it's so, true we found he the answer it. to the mystery before it's like even started exactly. and none of us even like noticed nope. it brilliant which makes it even more kind of satisfactory when you go back and read it and go oh yep. i'm an idiot obligatory <laughs> genius moment but see, what's weirding me out about that is, like, in the movie, what really bugged me was, like, it showed Igor Karkaroff, like, going into the room and, like, closing the doors. I don't even know mm-hmm. that was, like, what that was, like, trying to allude to. It really tried to frame him as the bad guy, didn't it, yeah, in the movie? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that because we already, like, we're already set up to, like, not like him very much, like, within the movie. And then we see him, like, closing the doors all, like, suspicious eyes. And mm-hmm. I guess it's harder to be subtle in a movie than you are in a book. Because um, we are still convinced that he is an evil guy in the book, but not quite, not quite to the same extent. Right, I'm getting that. We are also given kind of more examples of the real Moody's paranoia at this point. Karkaroff mentions um, his birthday present, which he was convinced was a basilisk egg, and turned out to be a carriage clock. <laughs> um, why do we not see this in later examples of Moody? I mean, he's meant to be this paranoid guy, and he just seems normal later on. Well, clearly, being locked up in a trunk for an entire year, he wouldn't be. You wouldn't be paranoid after that at all. <laughs> exactly, he should be worse, and he's not. He should, yeah. like, <laughs> he should never leave the house again. <laughs> I mean, we really don't actually see that much of him. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We don't really actually see very much of Moody after this. We see him um, with the Seven Harry scene, don't we? Where he yeah, he's going like... to blow his buttock off. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, we see him a little bit through order and stuff, but like. It's just, I, I don't think it's really enough for something to, like, happen. Okay. 
I know, and we see him like at the beginning of book five, and he's just like, "Oh, you were locked in a trunk for a year." He's like, "Oh, what else?" It's just, we seem to. I guess it, maybe it's the introduction of Tonks where she obviously kind of reveres him. I mean, like the attitude to people towards him seems to be a lot more impressed later on than it is at this moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe that's just because there's so many dark wizards around that we don't realize the dark wizards yet. And we like find out that all of these people are Death Eaters, like in this book, and it's we just do. like ex Death Eater overload. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I guess we spent the whole of last book con- thinking that we had an ex-Death Eater that then turned out not to be. This time it's the opposite. They're making up for yeah. lost ex-Death Eaters. Yeah. Well, did we actually even know who the Death Eaters were until the the Quidditch World Cup at the beginning of this book? That's true. We didn't. We knew that they were D- Voldemort supporters, but we didn't have a name for them. Right. That's mm-hmm. why I always forget rereading, like, when they introduce the concept of Death Eaters. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, And even Snape being a Death Eater, I'm like, to me, yeah. they're just so, like concepts that are ingrained in my brain that like i can't i forget that like we didn't learn about that for a really long time and then we have one of my favorite lines in the books where uh, little crouch says it's my job to think the way dark wizards do Karkaroff, as you ought to remember and it's just another obligatory genius moment again where joe makes her character say these ambiguous things that are true no matter which way you look at them if it was moody then it would be true and as it's not moody it's even more true because mm-hmm. he is a dark wizard so of course it's his job to think of the way that dark wizards do because it is one it's just brilliant writing so we have dumbledore asking the other esteemed wizards in the rooms for solutions you know anyone have any ideas of how harry can get out of this and everyone stays silent um which is just sad i mean this is you know these are your teachers, they are meant to be the greatest wizarding minds, helping you out in every kind of way, and no one has any idea of how to get Harry out of a competition he didn't enter. And now they're just like, oh, the fiery cup told us we had to, so we will. (laughs) In the movie, there's that scene where Dumbledore's talking to McGonagall. That happens right after this scene in the movie, right? Um, I haven't watched the movie in ages. Well, there's a scene where Dumbledore's talking to McGonagall, and basically they agree together to let the whole thing play out to see what's happening all right okay and i've always i've always really liked that scene because i to me that's that seems like a kind of thing that could have actually happened in the book it's just not something we got to see because harry wasn't there sure and so if you think of about it that way maybe dumbledore is in because i'm sure dumbledore could have figured out a way to get him out of this you can't tell me that barty crouch jr is a better wizard than dumbledore because he can fool the tournament and dumbledore can't I just think that at this point, Dumbledore is already trying to plan really far ahead. Yeah. He's almost curious what's what's the yeah. meaning behind it. Yeah. Maybe he also thinks that, you know, he can work to protect Harry throughout the tournament, so you might as well just let it play out and try and get the guy to kind of reveal himself later on, whoever the mm-hmm. bad guy is. And we also know that he, he feels very strongly about Harry's abilities. Maybe he legitimately is excited that Harry's actually in the tournament. Maybe he thinks that he has a legitimate chance of winning. Maybe he has two sickles on it. <laughs> Maybe he's had a bet with... <laughs> yeah. With, um, we see then uh, Mr. Crouch is described as coming out of a deep reverie. Um, and I was just wondering, do we know if he's under the Imperius curse yet? Has Crouch Jr. already cast his spell on his father? Because it just it's, all of the descriptions here make him sound very ill, and it sounds like he's under a curse and kind of being called upon in select moments and not really knowing what's going on what if because like i'm thinking like maybe like if the curse is newer it's going to be stronger i'm wondering like if this is the effects because the curse is like being cast like right now what if it happened in this scene it could be yeah that's interesting yeah he's described as ill earlier on in the chapter as well before um before moody enters the room um but He's not described it like this moment where he comes out of a deep reverie just makes me, you know, we see this later on with other people um, when they're kind of called upon to talk. They kind of reanimate um, Mm -hmm. under the Imperius curse. Um, So it could have just happened. Yeah. Um, We'll have to keep an eye on him from now on. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Paul Crouch, he's he's definitely ill. Maybe before he was just worried that his, you know, his son has been misplaced. (laughs) (laughs) Now he's actually being controlled by him. Um, But then we get a description of the first task, to an extent anyway. Um, They say that they're not going to tell you what it is, but it's designed to test your daring um, and that it it will require courage in the face of the unknown. Um, And then we get that main rule, the do not ask for help or accept help from your teachers. And it just, you know, why does no one other than 
Harry help Cedric when everyone else is cheating. Poor little humble Hufflepuff Cedric. Like, give him a break. Humblepuff. Humblepuff. I like that. <laughs> I mean, even, you know, why isn't Sprout helping out? Like, why is Hogwarts so much better than the other schools? <laughs> if anything, like, in the, even in, like, in the second task, Sprout should know about Gillyweed before Neville should, I think. Cause, yeah. And, like, he only figured it out because of Barty Crouch's plan thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just do think it comes down to, you know, that it's against the rules and they care about it. Yeah. Hogwarts just seems to take the competition less seriously than the, than the other schools. Mm-hmm. But then, and then there's Hagrid. He's like, oh, I'm going to be really subtle, but here's the forest and here's <laughs> dragons, so. Yeah. <laughs> but we've seen Hagrid do that before. Shouldn't have said that. Should not have Should said not have said that. <laughs> but do we actually ever see what, or, or do we know what Cedric does to, to get his egg? I think that we, we, we hear from Moody that he told him to take a bath or whatever. Mm. Oh, you mean to get the egg within well, the yeah, first Well, yeah, to get stuff. the egg in the first place. Oh, he, place. like, transforms a young... Oh, a rock into a dog? Rock yeah. Into a dog, yeah. Okay, well, us. I mean, I wonder... I'm sure he had help from all of his friends and stuff, and we don't see what, what he does every day. Maybe he did get help from, you know, one of the teachers or Professor Sprout. Oh, I disagree you know. entirely. Really? He definitely yeah, didn't know about the dragons. He definitely didn't, I think that's why he does the poorest. Hmm. Okay. So... We see that Dumbledore is looking at Crouch with mild concern here. Um, that's how it's described. Um, so it makes me wonder what he's noticed. I mean, this was the, the most Crouch-like we've seen Crouch in this scene, where he was actually telling the rules and describing it. Um, although he does kind of defer to Dumbledore to make sure he's got it correctly. Um, so it just makes me wonder, how does Dumbledore have so little control this year? He seems to notice the things that are going wrong, but he doesn't seem to do anything about it. Um, is it just as you guys were saying earlier that you know he is controlled, but he's wanting to watch it play out? Maybe that's why they added that scene in the movie to to kind of give those answers. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely what's happening. He he has already decided at this point that he it's more important for him to figure out what's going on than Harry's safety. You know, which kind of goes against what we know what Dumbledore thinks about Harry. But I think he has enough faith in his skill to protect Harry that he's willing to let it go and see what happens. Yeah. Sure. So Dumbledore sends everyone off to bed. Um, so Cedric and Harry head up off the um, up the marble staircase. We see Madame Maxime uh, kind of whispering to Fleur as they leave in French. Um, and I don't think we actually get a description of what happens to Crumb. Um, but they all spread off into their separate ways. And Harry says, was anyone except Ron and Hermione going to believe him because Cedric doesn't? And then, yeah, poor Harry, not even Ron. He, like, the two people he thinks are going to believe him no matter what, and not even Ron believes him. And he's so aware of his limitations and is really intimidated by the older students at this point. Like, this is one of the first internal mon- monologues we get where he's really kind of worried about what's going to go on. Um, but even then, he's more interested in the, the who and why of how he ended up in the in the situation just it proves that he really is a gryffindor he is so brave at this moment yeah, well and one question i had about this was once he goes back to the common room and then eventually gets up to his to their room where was hermione during all of this is i kind of just picture her up in her own room just kind of sitting there clearly going through her thoughts trying to decide if she believes harry didn't do it or if he did you know i mean is that what we think is happening here i, I can picture hermione doing that i'm i think hermione might be having some doubts also like everyone else but i think she really wants to believe harry i just don't know if she really can mm-hmm. see i always thought that she was there comforting like talking to ron as well and trying to work out why he's um not trusting him um mm-hmm. but obviously we, d- we don't see this because ron's on his own no, I agree. Um, and we don't see them in the common room talking beforehand and we never see kind of ron enter um, mm-hmm. So I wonder if Hermione's maybe immediately run off to the library and is starting to research the Triwizard Tournament straight away to try and help Harry out. Oh, that sounds like um, Hermione. Yeah, that's, that's very plausible too, yeah. Um, because, you know, she does believe him. We've heard that she like saw it in his face, that he definitely didn't enter his name. So, But she probably also knows that there's no way out of it. So this is the moment where she's gone into, okay, planning mode. Perhaps, I don't know. We never actually really find out, which is sad. Um, but before he actually gets to the party, um, we hear him say, you know, who could possibly want him dead? And then obviously the answer is Voldemort and it refers back to the dream again. Um, and Voldemort is present in the description a lot more, um, in this than he ever was last year. 
yet Sirius is barely mentioned at all, despite still being on the run and still being considered a bad guy. It makes me wonder why, you know, Crouch or Bagman doesn't mention, or well, any of them really, doesn't mention Sirius as a possible person to put his name in the cup. That's a really good point. Yeah. No one seems to worry about that. Sirius does seem to be, like... like Forgotten. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm confused by this now that we brought it up, because it seems like, oh, we've had this person... And he was, like, a big deal last year, but this year we don't care for some reason. It's that whole kind of out-of-sight, out-of-mind thing, isn't it? It's You see it happen in the media quite a lot, where you've got this kind of a, a escape convict or whatever reported on for a week and then it just disappears. Um, and especially considering the Ministry caught him and then he escaped again, perhaps it's just kind of being swept under the rug a bit. Or maybe Dumbledore has worked to try and clear his name a bit more as well, so it's... There's, there's several things that have happened that we might not have seen. Oh, wait, um, what if, like, if since he escaped from the Ministry, even though they already had him, what if, like, like the Ministry trying to tone down, like, oh, we made a mistake, let's not talk about it at all. What if that's one of, like, Cornelius yeah. Fudge's early attempts to be like, okay, we are the Ministry, we are right, I don't care. Yes, I can definitely see that happening. Obviously, it's the end of this book, but the, the kind of the second war begins, isn't that the chapter? Um, so yeah, yeah, we we can definitely kind of see the early workings of that divide happening here, perhaps. Um, and then we encounter the gossiping pa- paintings again. Um, Violet has been telling all of the Gryffindors exactly what happened in the room, even though, you know, as as Dumbledore says, it's one of Hogwarts's best kept secrets. So obviously, the entire school already knows. Maybe this is why it's the paintings. Hogwarts has no secrets. Exactly. It just makes it seem very claustrophobic, doesn't it? That even the paintings are going to be watching and talking about you. You can't escape ever. Mm-hmm. But Gryffindor doesn't care and just uses it as another excuse to party. Definitely not the house for an introvert. <laughs> it's really nice to see that you know Fred and George are kind of vaguely impressed and supportive of Harry, even if they're a bit confused. And even Angelina doesn't really mind that he's he's entered. Um, she says, you know, if it couldn't have been me, at least it's a Gryffindor. So it really kind of shows that Gryffindor pulls together to support its own, even if it's not what he wants. And as we mentioned earlier, uh, Harry heads upstairs to find Ron, who gives him a kind of a grimacing smile, which is, you know, before the argument, it's quite nice. He's trying to be supportive, even though it's obviously hurting him. Um, he's trying to kind of fix this grin on his face. But, you know, why why doesn't Ron believe him? Is it just what Hermione says, or is it I'm thinking more? that, you know, like, Ron... He likes, I think we've seen that he does like having attention and he does like having glory. And this is like someone who really shouldn't have this glory having it. And he could have just as well had it. And he's really angry just because he's not the attention, no, none of the attention's on him right now. So do you, do you think that he actually feels betrayed by Harry any more than he is what kind of worried about his own... I think he um, is, like, feeling betrayed. He's like, okay, I'm your best friend. Why are you not telling me about this? And why are why am I not getting any of this attention that you are? Because... Yeah. I don't think Ron necessarily expects the attention because nothing's necessarily deserved in this scenario. Like, even right. if he was 17, in no world would he have ever been picked. Um, it's just, like, you know, um, I, I think they were both looking forward to, like, being on the sidelines watching and now like once again it's like Ron just by himself watching Harry. Poor Ron. Do you think that Harry could have convinced Ron if he hadn't been kind of so stressed by everything that had happened in the party and the surprise of his name being called like would he have been more focused and more able to convince him if he hadn't kind of started this argument and felt angry about everything? No, only because I think like he has a solid enough argument as it is. And I think Ron's just being an immature fourteen-year-old boy. Like, there's a part in this when they're in the conversation they're having where Ron asks him, "Did you use the invisibility cloak?" Knowing what we know about the invisibility cloak and it being one of the Deathly Hallows, do we think that the Deathly Hallow invisibility cloak would have gotten someone over the line? I don't think so. I mean, like, I mean, I don't think the age line would have anything to do with him being invisible. Because it's still like a physical presence passing over the line. And the age line isn't like seeing, it's sort of like 
I don't know. Yeah, but we do know that Harry's cloak is is the one cloak that, is, since it being a deathly ha- deathly hallow, we know that it can deflect curses, and it's oh, yeah. you know it's it's basically super cloak. So <laughs> I don't know. But you, it doesn't actually kind of cover the soles of his feet, and that's what yeah. And I was wondering about that line, too, so. but you know, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of an interesting thing to bring up because. I, I believe that if you could find a way to get yourself across the line, you could enter your name regardless of how old you were. I think the line was what was stopping the younger kids, not the goblet yeah. itself. Yes. And and I, I think that they could have used the cloak to get over the line. I really do. I think the, the cloak is problematic in this book um, because, you know, Moody can see through it. Um, she hasn't quite thought it through properly at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's hard to say because the rules change. Um, I just like the fact that sh- that sh- Ron specifically points that out. You know, tr- yeah. like maybe that's something Ron had thought about and never brought it up to Harry. Like, oh, we should try to use the cloak. Like, I bet if they would have, they could have gotten across the line. I think now that we're talking about it, I think like the cloak and being a hallow and the powers that the hallows have that we've seen in the later books. Like, um, I I I think now, yeah, I think it probably could pass over the age line maybe you could have used it in a different way so rather than covering yourself with the cloak and going over it you could have put the cloak over the line and made the line invisible and then stepped over it ah use it as a bridge that's a good point (laughs) when you said you could use it in a different way i imagine him like pulling the cloak up over his feet and like potato sack hopping across the age (laughs) (laughs) that would also be fun (laughs) yes but at the same time, Dumbledore knows Harry has the cloak, and he's the one that set the line, so there's a whole argument that could be made there. It's just interesting to think about that. True. So, Alex, just to, to, to wrap up, as you are kind of the right age, and it's the right day, what would you have done if your name had been pulled out of the goblet? Well, this is probably me, but I would have absolutely freaked out because I can do none of these things, <laughs> and I did not do this, and I am confused. I am going up to my dorm to have a nap. Fair enough. <laughs> okay, so earlier in the show, uh, Rosie came up with a really good question that uh, I think we're going to use for this week's podcast question of the week, which is, do you think, hypothetically, if the Triwizard Tournament had existed without age restrictions uh, back in the era where Voldemort went to Hogwarts, do you think Voldemort would have entered the Triwizard Tournament and been selected, for that matter? Back when he was Tom Riddle. Back when he was Tom Riddle, correct, yes. So, yes or no question, so let us know. And you can put those answers on the podcast question of the week post, which will be on our main site. Okay, well that brings us sort of to the end of our show, and we want to thank Alex for being on and being our guest and having such insightful thoughts. (laughs) Thank you for having me on. And thank you, Patrick, for stepping in. Yeah, no problem. Yay. So if you would like to be on the show, uh, head over to our website and check out the Be On The Show page at alohomora.mugglenet.com. Uh, please make sure you have appropriate audio equipment uh, so that you're able to record. And in the meantime, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, you can also contact us in all of the normal ways. So on Twitter, it's at alohomoramn. Um, on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash open the Dumbledore. You can Skype us on 206-GO-ALBUS, which is 206 206- Four six two five two eight seven, or you can use our new service Audioboo, where you can leave us a message directly on alohomora.mugglenet.com, um, and it will be played on the show. As like our comment earlier, it's completely free, and all you need is a microphone to record your comment. Um, just to point out also, if your comment is not played on the show, you can still listen to everyone else's comments. Um, if you go to our Audioboo forward slash, um, let me find the link quickly audioboo.fm forward slash channel forward slash alohomora owlery you can find all of the comments that people have sent in and listen to them and comment on those there as well um just to get you guys kind of talking to each other vocally um which will be great so do check that out and also be sure to check out our store uh rosie mentioned today how the infamous goblet of fire scene that really is the polarizing uh scene of whether or not people are team harris team gambin whatever your opinion is Go buy a t-shirt and prove it to the world. <laughs> and if the t-shirt isn't your thing, you can also get that on a sweatshirt or a tote bag or other stuff like flip... Well, we have a little more flip-flops, water bottles, travel mugs, more coming soon. And long-awaited, the Woo. Mandrake Liberation Front and the Dust Pig shirts are now available. Nice. So there's over 80 products to choose from. There's ringtones that you can download. There's just... You can do 
so much shopping. Feel free to do that. Please do. The ringtones are actually not in the store. They're somewhere else on our site. Um, and they are free. So you can shop for things that aren't even costing you any money. So it's brilliant. You get a ringtone and you get a ringtone. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> gets over. a ringtone. <laughs> um, also remember that you can download our app. It's available, hopefully, seemingly worldwide. Perhaps not. We don't know. Um, prices do vary, so you can check what is uh, your local currency and your local app store. Uh, you can find transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, host vlogs, and more. Um, and do check out our main site for more information on how to find your app. And we want to remind you guys one more time to please go out and uh, vote for us. Uh, voting actually started yesterday, so you've actually missed a day. So shame on you. But also, <laughs> uh, unless you did vote, in which case you did, you've done a great job. Vote again today and tomorrow and the next day. Uh, but make sure you go vote for us. Uh, not just us. Vote for all the other uh, MuggleNet podcasts. Uh, we all deserve it. We all know we're the best. And uh, <laughs> help us help us achieve that greatness that we all know we have already got. Yay! So to do that, you can go to podcastawards.com and vote daily. Um, remember to use a valid email or your vote will not count. All right. Well, then that does it. Uh, I'm Laura Riley. I'm Patrick Muselek. And I'm Rosie Morris. Thank you for listening to episode 55 of Alohomora. Open the double door. won a donut eating contest yesterday oh congratulations that's awesome <laughs> happy halloween and everyone in the uk as well have a good bonfire night on the 5th of november yay is that a thing it is i'm just curious awesome. this, this, did you dress up for halloween this year not this year no <laughs> no my costume this year is my favorite thing I ever made what is it i'm madeline really yeah that's pretty awesome it's on my instagram and my twitter so feel free to check that out <laughs> well um, while we are on off on a tangent here, over the last year I've been growing a really long beard, specifically for the purpose of being one of the Duck Dynasty guys for this uh, Halloween. <laughs> Rosie, do you guys have Duck Dynasty over there? Is it popular? Not that I know of, I'm afraid. Sorry. Okay, because I, that would really strike me as an odd thing to cross the pond, because it just is so <laughs> American. <laughs>